All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Can you see it? Did you know? Hello, Canucks fans. It's time to celebrate. You are listening to the Canucks Conversation Podcast. My name is David Quadrelli. I am joined by Chris Faber. This podcast is brought to you by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing Company. We are absolutely fired up. I'm from my remote location. We're recording remotely once again, Chris. Not together, but together in spirit as the Canucks fend off the St. Louis Blues and take the victory in Game 6 to move on to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in August. That is a sentence I didn't think I'd be saying. That's a perfect time to throw to Chris Faber. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, man. I know uh, Vacation Quads had to turn it off for a little bit to get back here. Uh, it's weird. Like <laughs> we, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording here, and I feel like we're in very different state of minds right now. Like You are absolutely fired up like to the absolute nines. Uh, I, I'm, just, I'm struggling to process it, to be honest. Like The Canucks are right now in the final eight teams of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, they're one of the four teams that's going to be battling for the Western Conference. And I don't know, like, I, I'm just looking at that and I'm thinking that, like, all these thoughts are going through my mind. And it's, like, I don't want to say my brain is broken, but for some reason, like, I'm not, like, freaking out and super excited. Because I, I just, I, I can't process this, that the Canucks are now going to be moving on to the second round of the playoffs. Like, if you told me this, you know, in the middle of the regular season, or even, like, going into the, coming out of the pandemic when they went into the bubble, like, I... Like, I, I hoped it would have happened, but my brain's just really struggling right now to to say, like, wow, this is this is actually happening, and we're doing a podcast about the Vancouver Canucks who just advanced to the second round of the playoffs. 
If you're struggling to get fired up, I suggest you go watch some videos of the folks down at Scott Road. And speaking of which, we will be talking to Snoop, primetime Snoop from Twitter. We're going to be talking to him later in the episode. He's going to tell us a bit about what's going on down at Scott Road. He's not there right now, but he knows. Snoop knows. If you know, you know. You probably came here for Snoop. But we're going to break down that, and we're going to try and articulate our emotions here, Chris, because, you know... There is a series that's going to be played. Game one probably goes either Sunday or Monday. It's We're getting Sunday. right back to it. Yeah, there's Sunday, 7.30. It's, it's going live. We're not getting any time for a break. I mean, they're going to have a break on Saturday, uh, but they're right back at it, man. Sunday night, 7.30, puck drop, Vegas Knights, Canucks, game one. I'm I'm excited saying that. Like, I'm so jacked up to say that. But, yeah, this, this, was, a, this, was, the, this was the best game I've seen all season of the Vancouver Canucks. Absolutely. And you know what? Contributions from the bottom six, that's the big thing we've got to talk about, right? Like when we break down what was the difference maker in this series, first of all, I think Travis Green did an excellent job adapting to the St. Louis Blues, adapting to his original game plan, right? Like just little things, right? And we talk about the heist that Travis Green pulled off with hiding his lines and Thomas Drantz outlined this, right? Just how much he put into this and how... He changed the lines and kind of with the O'Reilly matchup, you know, you you and I talked about the Pedersen line was not firing on all cylinders. They were getting hard matched against the O'Reilly line. It was getting difficult. Horvat had success in the first two games, but then they, the Blues made an adjustment. The Canucks didn't make an adjustment for games three and four. You get to game five. What do we see? We see Elias Pedersen not alongside JT Miller and Brock Besser. We see those guys move up with Bo Horvat, and then it becomes up to Craig Berube being like, okay, pick your poison. Do you want to face Horvat with these two ultra-skilled wingers, or do you want to face Pedersen, who can somehow make Tyler Mott a four-goal scorer in the span of two games, and Jake Vertanen, right? And that's the line we saw. Like, you know, Pedersen was with a bunch of different wingers, and it was working, right? Like, the Pedersen line found five-on-five success with Tyler Mott there and with Jake Vertanen there, and it was it was wild watching this and how they decided to match up. And, I, I you know, you just have to tip your hat to Travis Green, right? Like, yeah. this, was, this was a series that he coached very, very well. And he's got these guys playing for each other. You know, it sounds cliche, but he's got this team firing on all cylinders. And you know what? I... I, for one, am not counting them out against Vegas. Like, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Vegas has the Canucks number, Vegas has the Canucks number. Like, sure, they had the Canucks number in the regular season, but this Canucks team, to me, and it's, again, I'm just throwing out all the cliches, like, this team right now just seems like they won't lose a game, right? And it's just, it, you, you know what, maybe we're on an emotional high right now and watching the game and just kind of seeing everything. And I know you and I talk about it a lot, how it's hard to be a fan, but you see what this this team is doing right now and you see how the actual fans, again, the guys at Scott Road, the people on Twitter, everything, you see how they react and you can't help but just kind of be so happy to see this success, right? Like, you know, traffic's going up at Canucks Army, our podcast numbers are going up. It's wonderful to see from our job standpoint and it's just, man, you you have to be thrilled about this team right now. Yeah, totally. And, and to get scoring from the bottom six with massive, you know, five on five scoring, when you get that from Tyler Mott, when you get that from Jay Beagle, you, you know, when you get that from Jake Vertanen, even though he was kind of in a top six role, if you want to call it that, but that, that all comes from Travis Green, like you mentioned, like all of that 
bottom six scoring, I think, comes from the line swapping and the, you know, the blender that Travis Green had pulled out for what seemed like an entirety of two full games. I mean, in game five, he comes out and plays three different periods where he plays completely different lines in each period. Comes out into game game six there, you know, looks like uh, in pregame warm-up he goes with the exact same lines, completely goes away from that once the puck drops. Literally as the puck drops, you see the lines different from what they were in the pregame skate. And, yeah, exactly. and that was what it was. It got Pedersen to get away from that line. It got Pedersen to play with guys like Louis Erickson and Tanner Pearson, who, you know, were in the top six, I guess, if you looked at it in a different way. But that's the thing, like, you, you kind of just swapped out Horvat for Pedersen. Right on those lines. And it seemed to work because, yeah, the matchup was a little bit better for Pedersen away from them. And, you know, I, I thought of it kind of funny, like looking at Elias Pedersen playing with Louis Erickson. It was like, it's like when you're when you're playing baseball and you go up and you know those donut weights that you put on your bat and you're swinging oh, yeah. with that bat for a little bit and it's super heavy. But then when you go, you pop that weight off and you go up to take your at bat and the bat just feels like a feather in your hand. Like that's what I felt like Elias Pedersen's play looked like at power plays in the last couple games because he's playing with these guys who are just, you know, not going to help contribute a lot of offense to him. I mean, Tanner Pearson, sure, he can bring that. And, you know, Jake for Tanner brought a little bit. But when you see Pedersen playing with Louis Erickson, you're thinking like, oh, like it, that, that might limit Pedersen's ability to, to, you know, have any offense going, but at the same time, I think that more than just playing with Louis Erickson, the thing that was limiting Pedersen's offense was the matchups that he was facing because of the players that he was playing with and loading up some of your best scorers on one line was able for the Blues to just say, okay, well, we're going to face you with Braden Shen and his line and also Ryan O'Reilly and his line every single shift that you're out there. And those are, those are two great shutdown lines. I think that Ryan O'Reilly line honestly is one of the best that we see in the NHL, let alone in the playoffs. So it doesn't surprise me that they were able to, you know, control, I guess, the puck possession against the lotto line. But yeah, Travis Green, uh, I just finished it in my postgame report. Like the top performer, it was hard for me to pick one in game six with Vancouver Canucks because I thought they all played so well. So I, I went with Travis Green because I, I think he was the top performer for the Vancouver Canucks. I could have gone with Jacob Markstrom probably once again because he's been excellent. And I'm sure we'll talk about him later on in the show. But yeah, Travis Green went out there and, you know, I think he earned a lot of respect from anybody that was doubting him because coming out of games three and four, there was a little bit of, you know, a little bit of stuff on Twitter, a little bit of people whispering about him not being able to adjust to it. And then what does he do in games five and six? He absolutely makes the perfect adjustments uh, and, you know, it really helped this Canucks team. Like, that's the thing that I've always said about Travis Green. Like, I don't think he hurts the team ever. But I never thought that he helped the team until game five and six in this playoff mm. series. And I really think that he helped this Canucks team win these two games here. And that's something that I've been asking for for years with Travis Green. I've never been the biggest supporter of him, but I've, you know, I've tried not to hate on him either. But I just thought that this team was so good that, you know, if they had a coach that could help, it would be so beneficial for them. And it showed in this series because it just showed up here, you know, and in games five and six, I was just really happy with his performance. And out of everyone, I think he was the top performer. I think when you look at kind of who could be the issue with the Canucks, I think Travis Green, especially on the management side, right? Like Travis Green seems to me like the guy that has never really been the issue. Like he didn't put together that bottom six that costs that much. But the bottom six in this game, like, he gets them to step up, right? And I mean, of course it's by committee. I'm not trying to say Travis Green is the reason that Tyler Mott scored four goals in the past two games. But... You know, right after he's criticized for playing Mott too much at 5-on-5, five five, which granted, sure, he probably did, Mott really just gets going, right? Like, the way Mott played in those final two games, the bottom six as a whole was spectacular. But well, for I, got a stat, Mott, I got a stat for you, Quads. Yeah. 
Leader in Game 6 in shots on goal. Tyler Mott with 5. Leads the Vancouver Canucks in shots on goal in that game. You know, who would have thought, right? Yep. And you know what? I Man, I, I gotta give a shout out to my brother. I, I'm buying him a Tyler Mott jersey. He's, uh, it's pretty funny. We've been watching games for a long time. And as soon as Tyler Mott played his first game as a Canuck, my brother hitched his hitched his wagon to the Tyler Mott train. It was unbelievable. I could not believe how hardcore he supported Tyler Mott. And he's like, he's got heart. I'm like, no, but look at his analytics. They're so bad. He's like, he's got heart. My brother doesn't really read much into analytics, but his whole argument with Tyler Mott is he's got heart. So I told him I'd buy him a jersey. So I'm definitely buying him a Tyler Mott jersey. But he does have heart, right? And that's something that, you know, it was really evident in this series. And again, it sounds so cliche. And I'm just throwing out so many cliches. But Tyler Mott, to me, is the perfect fourth liner for the Vancouver Canucks, especially going into the future, right? Like, here's a guy... Hold on, hold on a second. Have I not been telling you this for months, Quads, about Tyler Mott? You have, and I actually had him... telling you this for so damn long. I had him out of my Game 1 lineup. Do you remember that when we were talking about the Wild lineup against the Minnesota Wild? I had him out of the lineup. Do you know how bad I feel about that? I slammed Tyler Mott. The broad You better have a... You're going to have to have a double... You're gonna have to have a double Coke and rum to uh, to secure that one. I'm actually having that right after right after this a little Coke and rum. Gonna be beautiful. <laughs> Good Coke Man, with ice and really rum. People really didn't like that on Twitter. Hey, people really didn't like me calling it Coke and rum. I did appreciate your Claude Drelli, uh meme though. That was pretty awesome. David Claudrelli on on uh, vacation mode right now. I'm enjoying that. Fantastic. But let me talk about hockey, man. I, I'm in vacation mode, but I turned it off for. I gave. I'm giving you two hours here. Of me not in vacation Damn. mode, okay? So you got to savor it. So I want to talk about Tyler Mott. Here's a guy who's 25 years old, you know, comes to the Canucks in a trade for Thomas Vanek. Remember him? Clap bombs. Here's a guy who comes over. He's 25 years old. Again, like, this is a guy to me that is showing that he really is, like, the perfect fourth liner. And you look at what the bottom six right now is constructed of. You've got your Jay Beagles. You've got your Antoine Roussels. You know, these are not cheap players. And... When I talk about players that I'd like to see in the bottom six, like everybody knows how much I like Josh Levo and how much I think his home should be on that third line, right? Like I think Josh Levo is a very, he's going to come in cheap because of his injury. He's not going to be cashing in on a big payday. I think this is a guy the Canucks really need to re-sign. But another guy that they really need to focus on re-signing is Tyler Mott. And when it comes to Tyler Mott, this is a guy that I think you really want to give term over dollars, right? Because if you have this guy locked up for many years, like let's say like three or four years for Mott, okay? You have him locked up, but you have him at that low cap hit. Again, that's going to be so valuable when it comes to paying Pedersen and Hughes north of 12 million, north of 10 million, whatever you want the number to be. It's going to be two digits, 100% for both of these guys. Having a guy like Tyler Mott, who's on a cheap, cost-controlled deal that can go into your bottom six and be effective on a fourth line that's just that's what you need right you can't afford to have jay beagles you can't afford to have antoine roussels right like the you can't afford to go build your bottom six in free agency you know what i mean like it's it's not gonna work you have to find these guys within that's why i like guys like McEwen. i like guys like cole lind i like guys like tyler mott and i think you know when you have a guy who's 25 years old and is showing you now what he can do in the playoffs and how effective he can be you know we knew he had hustle right charlie hustle we knew he had the heart and now he's showing it. It's really evident. And I think, you know, you don't want to get too drunk on Mott and go throwing out, you know, let's sign this guy to five five years at three mil. 
But if you're looking at three or four years at one to two mil, you know, I can, I can get on board with that. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I just, I'm thinking about his next contract and I'm thinking like, you know, they're coming into some very crucial years here. Jim Benning's going to have to be on his toes and with the Canucks star players coming off their ELCs in the coming years here. And I think a big part of the team should be Tyler Mott down the line. I didn't think I would be saying that, but here we are. Yeah, and you know what uh, Tyler Mott's reminded me of right now was, um, I guess it was the 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs and the run that the Capitals went on. Uh, and Chandler Stevenson, do you remember him? He he absolutely flies, yep. and he was playing on that fourth line for the Washington Capitals. He was effective in a lot of games, scored some big goals for the Washington Capitals in that series. And it just seems like every single year there is that type of player that gets your team in the playoffs and he gets on a run and he's playing on your fourth line and your third line and he's a penalty killer normally, but he just ends up scoring a bunch of goals in the playoffs. And we're seeing that with Tyler Mott right now. Is it Tater Top Mott? Is that what the broadcast girls are, are nicknaming him? I, I, I'm they down have for that. so many great nicknames for him and I absolutely <laughs> love it. I love Tater Top Mott. We're going with that. And yeah, like I don't have anything to add to what you just said there. That's what I've been... You know, I've been preaching this about Tyler Mott, man. I think he's the perfect fourth line winger, and I think he fits his Canucks team so well. Uh, if you know, if you want to start talking about contracts, it's it's going to see what happens this playoffs, right? Because if he goes off, and people are just going to look at the stats that he had and look at how effective he was when they watched some of the tape, they're going to see his playoff work and be like, "Wow, this guy." You know, maybe he gets the Jay Beagle bump somewhere else in the NHL. But I believe Tyler Mott's an RFA, right? Like he's a restricted yeah, free agent is. at the end of the season. So yep, yep. Good. So the Canucks hold a good spot in that. Maybe. You know, maybe four years is too much, but I think somewhere, you know, a two-year deal with Tyler Mott uh, could be very good for this Canucks team moving forward because he's a guy that, you know, can move up and down the lineup. We saw that a little bit. Uh, we saw like a couple shifts of Tyler Mott with Elias Pettersson and Jake Vertanen in Game Six. Uh, I just overall, like I've been saying it for so goddamn long, so I'm happy that you're going off about it now too because you know Tyler Mott is the perfect fourth line winger. I, I love his game. I think he hustles so hard. Uh, and, you know, I love Tommy Gunn when he was here with the Vancouver Canucks, and that trade looks even better now. It looks so much better than what a draft pick uh, would have done. And I know that a lot of people, probably myself included at the time, were thinking, wow, how could you not get, you know, a fourth-round pick for Thomas Vanek at the time? But when you see what Tyler Mott's been able to do this team, you know, give Jim Baring props. He went out there and found this guy uh, and obviously did some scouting with the pro scouting group, which has improved so much. Uh, in the past couple of years, this Vancouver Canucks team, give them props right now because they found this Tyler Mott kid who just scored four goals uh, in two games and two wins for the Vancouver Canucks in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The hustle on this guy. Like, I, man, I don't want this to just be gushing about Mott, but holy cow. Like, You should was... be able to, man. He just scored four goals in two. We should be gushing about Tyler Mott. Like, he just scored four goals in two games playing in a fourth line for the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs. I mean, for the whole duration of this podcast, I don't want to just be gushing about Mott. So we're going to wrap up Mott talk here. But this is a guy I just am so impressed with him, right? And if he can keep this going, I just, man, who knows how high he can fly. You know what I mean? Like, just the penalty killing. You just feel so much safer when he's out on the penalty kill, right? Like, he's so positionally sound, especially in the defensive end, and just... Man, like, the way he can spring up if the power play makes one mistake in their cycle, 
man, it's dangerous, right? And, and the forecheck, dude. With... The forecheck at 5-on-5 five five is what's generating a lot of them getting the puck in the yes. offensive zone. I mean, you saw that again in this game when he was on the forecheck. He was able to disrupt them a lot, draw penalties like he always does. Uh, doesn't take a lot of penalties either. Uh, I can't really even think of... I think he took one penalty uh, as far as I can remember through these playoffs. I could be wrong with that, but he doesn't take a lot. He's definitely not, you know, a Tyler Myers and a and an Alex Edler type of guy because we don't see him in the box at all and he's so aggressive with not only his body but his stick that you know it almost surprises you to not see him in the box more so he's the type of guy you want to ride with and yeah I think that every team that goes on a run in the playoffs has one or two or even three guys in their bottom six that are going to step up and play above what they're regularly playing in the regular season and right now it's been Tyler Mott in the first series and you hope that he can keep that going against the Vegas Golden Knights because he's he's going to have to bring it because this team this Vegas Golden Knights team loves to control the puck obviously incredible puck possession numbers there's gonna be times where Tyler Mott's gonna get you know boxed in in his own zone when he's playing with the guys on that fourth line but if he's able to have a strong four check maybe he can generate a couple of offensive things as well for this Canucks team exactly and I mean you know speaking of the Vegas Golden Knights we're gonna break them down later in the episode but right now I think it's a good time to catch up with our friend primetime Snoop we're gonna bring him on then we're going to cut to some ads. We're going to talk. We're going to close out this talk about the St. Louis Blues on the other side of the break, other side of this conversation with Snoop. Talk to him a little bit about the series, preview a bit of the Golden Knights, and that will be a very fun conversation. So let's go right to primetime Snoop. All right, guys, very pleased to be joined now by primetime Snoop, formerly known as Snoop World Order, until he impersonated for Chesco Aquilini, which is a cardinal sin on Twitter. Snoop, how are you doing, my friend? Boys. It's good to be back on. It's been a great day. Um, a lot of emotions are going through my mind. I just recently started crying, but uh, besides that, it's you know it's been an adventure, and here we are. Like think about it, we just defeated the St. Louis Blues, the Cup champions, and we manhandled them. I they had the pressure, but we rocked them, and here we are. Now we got Vegas, and it's really interesting because. At one point, we're like, okay, if we lose to Minnesota, we get uh, a nice draft pick, but we beat them, and we beat the Blues, so I guess even myself, I think there's a lot of people saying, wow, we didn't see this coming, hey, but let's enjoy the ride. It's been a great day, and we're rocking it hard. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and you know, what a rollercoaster emotions for you and the rest of the Canucks fans, right? Because... I saw you on Twitter, you know, you were talking about you were vomiting a few times after some of those games and how intense they were and, you know, what was going on. It was, it was crazy. I, I just can't imagine the roller coaster of emotions for you. I was literally shaking last game, not this game, but the other game after we uh, defeated them. You know, that last second ditch effort that St. Louis had, they almost tied it. I was shaking after that victory and I was kind of just, it's, it's the anxiety levels are high. Uh, a lot of puking, a lot of, uh, you know, just like thinking, why am I even here? Like, why are you doing this to us, Canucks? But, uh, you know what? They pay dividends and here we are. <laughs> so it's been tough. And, you know, I talked to my mom. She's actually doing well and she's coming back and we're going to pick up from the airport tonight. And, you know, we're going to honk and drive around with her social distance masks and all that. But, it's just nice to have a family together and uh, enjoy this victory. And now we got Vegas and screw them. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy to I, hear about your mom. I mean, you know, I, I knew the stipulation there was, what was it? She said she saw the value in left ring year and that was why he had sent it back. It was kind of like she was signing with Jeff Backett and it's been a lot of drama where 
it was kind of like she was mentioning the what's the name Latvian and she was just saying that hey if we lose it's okay we have a good chance at them and I didn't I didn't take that I didn't appreciate that and so we sent her home for a bit and she's doing better now though uh, she's ready to come back and embrace embrace the Vancouver Canucks and we'll probably take a drive around the Scotland a little bit get her familiar with the community again and you know we'll, we'll dance a little bit. That's good. That's good to hear, Steve. I'm glad that your mom's going to be coming back safe uh, to, to celebrate this Canucks win right now. Uh, and I just heard Troy Stetcher say it in the post game. Uh, he knows Scott Road's going to be lit tonight. Are you going to be driving by there? 100. percent Yeah, we'll probably take a limo in a bit. I guess uh, things have changed where they're they've kind of uh, you know talk about social distancing and whatnot. So we'll probably just get a family limo. We'll just get you know drive around and enjoy, do a bit of dancing. You know, I got some cold shots ready for <laughs> Jake McKenna almost scored it. That would have been insane if he scored. <laughs> Holy crap. The whole the whole city would erupt. You know, like it's everyone's behind the kid. They want to succeed. So even if he makes the smallest move, we all just kind of pass out a little bit. Like, oh my God, he did that. He, 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 <sighs> you've been down at Scott Road. I got to ask you, what, what on earth? Like what, what is the craziest thing you've seen down there this time around this year? Um, this has been okay, I think, for now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go there in a bit right now in a bit after this conversation. But uh, I've seen a few weird things. I've seen people fight each other, people dance together. I've seen people kiss for no reason. Bros is kissing, being happy and all of that. But um, it's quite intense, you know. There's a lot of twerking. There's a bit of this. You got, you got a little festival going on. It's just, you know what, you have to experience it. I can't explain it, but you just literally have to go there and just enjoy the moment. It's quite intense. And this has been going on for many years. I'd say even, I still remember going like when we faced uh, Calgary back in the early 2000s. And that was intense as well, uh, the hate for Calgary. So it's it's been slowly building up, and now it's getting traction. So it's it's great. But I, I do suggest everyone checks it out. You won't regret it. We have, uh, I think they have a DJ now. Pretty, we have a DJ there as well tonight. So <laughs> uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a little dance party. But it's kind of, you know, it's been a twenty twenty has been a wild year. So it's nice to see the boys do well and kind of, you know, accelerate in that situation. Snoop, to uh, to get back to the game a little bit here and, and away from Scott Road because it seems like yeah they're are, they're already at full capacity from the videos I'm seeing right now. Uh, but yeah. I want to dive into a little bit about uh, from from looking at the game and looking at the past two games. Um, you know, I have to pick a top performer when I'm writing my post games here, and the guy that I picked for both of these last two games uh, is Travis Green. What did you think of his performance in the last two games with you know mixing up the lines and getting you know lines that actually made sense for Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat to have more success in the offensive zone. I feel like this whole series has been just an up and down situation. You know, the first two games, Travis Green was a god, and the next two games, he wasn't. But he, I really liked the way he worked. Not this game, the, the game before. I really like enjoyed the way he kind of manipulated his lineups and juggled a bit, which was nice to see because their previous coaches, uh, no comment, right? But um, <laughs> it's been a great adjustment, and you know what? I feel, I feel like he feels a fire. It's he does something in the locker room. It's a different type of energy. So I gotta give props to him, even though we've all been kind of critical in some moments. But he adjusted and won a game, and. That's all that matters at this point. Snoop, I want to know who's your top performer 
of the series and of the playoffs so far. You can pick two, or it can be the same person. Who's your pick before we close out here? It's got to be Jake for Tanner. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd say uh, <laughs> he passed the puck. Oh, my God. No, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, yeah, baby. Uh, I'd say I mean, it has to be, you know, obviously not for him. He's your God, and he's going to get paid. Hopefully, he stays here. I'd say him, and, you know, I've, I've loved the way EP's been working slowly. I think he's at 13 points. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, last time I, I think he's right by, what, uh, Peter Forsberg for the it was time, some type of stat where it was the most points in certain games and he's titled Peter Forsberg. I'm not sure if he beat him. But also just Tyler Mott. <laughs> Who the hell? Did someone give him zero atmosphere? Did someone inject steroids up his buttocks? I don't know. But he's been having a good time and he's been ripping it. So <laughs> it's been nice. Beatles score too. Oh my God. It's been, it's what you want though. It's what we need. We need, uh, Four lens rolling, and sometimes they for big boys can't step it up. Bottom boys, you know, bottom guys help it up. But uh, besides that, yeah, I'd say I'd say Jacob Markstrom, EP. Well, I Tyler Mott because Tyler Mott is Tyler Mott. We didn't see that coming, and but yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite the experience for sure. Uh, I know it's been different and difficult because there's no crowd, and we love that towel power. But overall, it's been a great, you know, it's been. It's been an awesome time, and I feel like the whole community in general, especially since COVID has been occurring, this is a nice, you know, breath of fresh air, and everyone's coming together. Because usually Canucks Twitter is, um, I'd say it's probably, it's quite decisive. We'll leave it as that. I won't go deeper than that. But, yeah, it's been a blast, boys, and I'm just kind of happy that, you know, my mom's back, and we're kind of <laughs> having some nice dinner, and, you know, she's she's down with the Canucks, and she doesn't like Vegas. And we'll keep it that way. Snoop, excellent stuff as always, buddy. We'll let you get to the limo. We'll let you get to Scott Road. Thank you once again for Yeah, boys. Uh, thanks for checking in. It's been a blast. And call whenever, but I'm going to get more drunk. And, you know, call this you all and let's have fun tonight. We deserve this victory. It's been, uh, what, it's been a tough five, six years, let's be honest. But uh, let's enjoy this moment. Let's have fun. Absolutely. Take care, my friend. Thanks a lot, Snoop. Okay, you too. Yeah, no worries. All right, guys, before we go any further into the episode, I just want to give a quick shout-out to the presenting sponsor, Parallel 4.9 Beer. They have a bunch of their summer beers coming in right now, some fruity ones that they're mixing up, a couple of new sours, some double IPAs. And if you want to get all the latest updates, be sure to follow Parallel 4.9 Beer on Twitter and Instagram. Their Instagram stories are absolutely lit right now with all the new beers. Or you can head right down to their location and street kitchen on East Van. That's at 1950 Triumph Street. So head down there if you want to try some the new parallel beers and the last thing i want to do is give a quick shout out to zephyr epic as well you can follow them on social medias at zephyr epic z-e-p-h-y-r-e-p-i-c is where you can find them zephyrepic.com is where the shop is and right now they have a bunch of deals as they wrap up the summer with their closing out some specials on last year's uh nhl cards some of the magic cards are on sale and pokemon as well so if you're into that kind of thing make sure you get down with zephyr epic uh, and you can use promo code Canucks combo for $5 off your order as well as free shipping on every order over $50. So be sure to follow Zephyr Epic and Parallel 49 Beer on all your social medias. And a huge thank you to Primetime Snoop. Always fun to catch up with our good friend Snoop. Chris, something that Snoop brought up in that conversation that I kind of wanted to touch on 
is, you know, we talked about the bottom six, but a team that can consistently roll four lines. And we see this with teams that end up winning championships, right? Like you and I talked about it before this playoff even started. You know, there's always that line, right? That third or fourth line that really comes alive in the playoffs and really boosts a team over the edge, right? And you and I talked about it and we said it could be, this is this is going to be the Adam Gaudet, Jake Vertan, and Antoine Roussel line. Obviously, that hasn't been the case, and it's come in the form of kind of the whole bottom six by committee right now. That's what we're seeing, and I mean, the Canucks really need their bottom six to step up. They weren't good at the start of this series, but in the past two games, you can't help but be pleased with them, and you can't help but wonder that if they keep this up, are the Canucks all of a sudden that much more of a dangerous team? Because Chris, just looking at it here, the Canucks' only top six forward that scored a goal tonight was Brock Besser on the power play, right? You know, they got goals from Mott. They got goals from Roussel. They got goals from Stetcher. And of course, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, and the the top six guys were the ones that set up the Stetcher goal. And they had something to do with the other goals as well at different points. But again, like, the majority of the scoring in this game where the Canucks, it was a gutsy win and they really came alive and dominated the Blues, it was the bottom six that got the job done tonight. And if they can keep it up, are we all of a sudden talking about the Canucks as a team that could potentially hang with a team like Vegas? Because I know there's a lot of people already kind of saying the Canucks might not have much of a chance against Vegas, counting them out of it. I see a team right now that if the bottom six can come up and the Canucks can consistently roll four lines and all four lines can be as dangerous as they were tonight, I have no doubt in my mind that the Canucks can hang with the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, that's that's the thing though. It, they're going to have to be as dangerous as they were on a night like tonight. I mean, you you know, getting six goals is great. You're going to win most of the games that you score six goals in, especially with Jacob Markstrom in net. But this is going to be something that needs to consistently happen. Not six goals, but just getting production from your bottom six. And a lot of games this year, the Canucks didn't have that. A lot of games in the playoffs, the Canucks didn't have that. Uh, but if this is a step in the right direction and this is becoming, you know, the regular thing that we see instead of, you know, an outlier game where the bottom six clutches up, this this is what the team needs moving forward. And I think that we've seen this Canucks team throughout this playoffs. And I think it's so huge in the bubble because I think this is something that we're going to see with a lot of different teams, especially as this as this bubble hockey continues to go on. But a lot of teams are going to ride their emotional waves, right? Like they're going to be games where you know teams just need to dig deep. They need to dig and play better than they did all season long. They're going to need to be better than they were in the regular season. That's what playoff hockey is all about. And doing that in a bubble where you're only with your teammates, I think a lot of the the good play from these teams that we see as this kind of playoffs goes on is going to be how tight that group is. You know, is the group thinking about going home now, you know, or, or are they just kind of checked out and just saying, okay, well, let's just get to the finish line. Whatever happens, happens. Or are you going to see a team that's emotionally invested? Like this Canucks team seems to be and saying like, yeah, we're, you know, I love hearing them say it. They've been saying it, you know, for the past couple of weeks is yeah, this is a great learning experience, but we're also here to win. You know, like we heard Bo Horvat say, we heard Travis Green say it like they aren't, here to just get that experience that everyone said that they'd be getting this year from the playoffs. Now that they're focused on winning, and I think this is one of the tightest groups that we see uh, out of all these teams. Right? Obviously, we follow the Canucks. We know all the stories of them throughout the season, and maybe we just don't know about some of these stories that are going on in similar situations with other teams. But just from what we see from the Vancouver Canucks and looking at different playoff years of you know even the 2011 team, the 2015 team, like this team just feels like you know they're they're closer. I think way closer, you know, like than any of the other teams. It feels like they're all one big group. 
Like, even going back to 2011, you had, like, the Sedins, and you had the Kessler line, and then you had the bottom six. And I don't know if those groups were always together, right? I don't know if they were, you know, good friends off the rink. But then, you know, he, like, we saw that uh, that feature on, on Chris Tanev where, you know, everyone's calling him dad. And, you know, you think that Chris Tanev might not be a guy who's going to be hanging out with Pedersen or Besser and Hughes. And, you know, Hughes gets invited to Tanev's house on the first night that he's in Vancouver. Like, everybody calls him dad. They go over to Tanev's house for dinner. Uh, we've seen Snapchats of them, you know, playing video games with Chris Tanev. Like, mm-hmm. this is a really close team. Uh, and I think that's going to benefit the Canucks just as much as his playoffs go on because you're going to start to miss your family and you know get so far away from regular life living in this bubble that you're going to have to rely on your teammates. And I think this Canucks team is the type of group of guys that's going to be able to do that probably better than, than a lot of other teams in this bubble. But like I said, we don't know all the stories because we don't follow the other teams as close. But looking at the one that we do follow, I feel pretty confident in this Canucks group. Yeah, you're absolutely right about the team being a very tight-knit group and a very close one. And, you know, we're talking about good teammates and loving your teammates. Do you know who I wrote a feature on today that's going to be dropping on Saturday morning? You're never going to guess which player in the bubble I decided to write about. But it's Louis Domingue. I literally, I could have guessed that. Because he made cookies, right? I know. So, not only did he make cookies, but there's more to this story than that. I'm not just writing a story about Louis Domingue made cookies. Click here to see more photos. I'm writing a story about how, you know, and this is something interesting. I'm basically going to spoil the article on the podcast. Please go read my article. But basically, what's going to happen is in 2021, the Seattle Kraken are going to come into the league, and the Canucks are going to have to try to either make the Jacob Markstrom contract expansion-proof with a huge signing bonus in that off season that Seattle might kind of might sour the taste for the March from contract that Seattle would be picking up. Maybe they stay away from it and they can leave him unprotected and Seattle passes by him. I'm not sure if that's really going to work depending on how Markstrom plays. He's playing very, very well right now and it doesn't look like he's going to stop anytime soon. So that one might not be the best route. So the other option is selling off one of Demko or Markstrom. Now, with these expansion rules, you have to have one goaltender unprotected that Seattle could take. And the fines and the penalties for not doing this are pretty bad. And again, this is something that Thomas Drantz of The Athletic pointed out, and I was kind of going back and forth with him a bit on this talking about it. The Canucks are going to need to sign a veteran goaltender this offseason, not only to back up Mikey DiPietro in Utica, because if you remember, they traded Zane McIntyre for... Louis Domingue in February, right? So they have no, they're not going to have a veteran backup in Utica. So not only are they going to need a veteran backup to be the backup goaltender in Utica, go in when DiPietro needs a night off, right? Not only are they going to need that, they're going to need a goaltender who is not expansion exempt like DiPietro, right? Because the Canucks can't um, leave DiPietro unprotected. He's not eligible, right? So the Canucks have to have a goaltender under contract who is. So they're going to protect Demko. Like, they're going to protect Demko. Say, um, say DiPietro's the backup at that point, whatever, at the end of 2021, right? He's the only other goalie under contract. They need to have another goalie under contract. It's very, very important that they do because if they trade one of these goalies, right? Like, say, say they have the Markstrom-Demko tandem all season long, okay? 
but then they trade one in the offseason. Now they don't have a goaltender under contract. They have to make sure that they have somebody because they have to have somebody unprotected with these expansion rules, which is why I think that not only will Louis Domingue come back because the weight of being a good dude and a good teammate is very heavy right now in the bubble in these unprecedented times. Louis Domingue knows the situation. He knows his role, and I think he's doing it very well. I think that we're going to see Louis Domingue come back to the bubble, but or sorry, to the bubble, to the Canucks this offseason. I think they're going to try and re-sign him. If not, they're going to have to go for another veteran goaltender who can be a backup. But to me, this is a good time for Louis Domingue. Like, he's baking cookies, he's doing all this stuff. And this is something a lot of people don't know. Michael DiPietro is not in the bubble right now. Like, Michael DiPietro is not in Edmonton. He's in Vancouver, he's working out, he's staying fit. And he's getting tested every day. So he's still under the bubble, uh, quote-unquote bubble, um, as an emergency goaltender. But he's not in the hotel with his teammates. So he's still here, and he's going to be expected to go to Edmonton and won't have to quarantine because he's still getting tested every single day while he's in Vancouver. But yeah, he's in the bubble, but he's not in Edmonton, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It makes sense. I just don't think that Louis, Louis Domingue will be back next year unless he's given up on his uh, chance of being an NHL player at all. Because they're, you know, how how bad is it for him to go down and then not be the starter at the AHL level? Because that's what they're going to want with Di Pietro next year, if there's even an AHL season. To be honest, um, I think the Canucks are just going to have to sign some other sort of guy that's going to be a veteran. Um, just because if Louis Domingue signs that, he's pretty much signing up to play. You know. 15 to 20 maybe 25 AHL games as a backup in the AHL for a guy that you know won I think something like 17 games uh with the Tampa Bay Lightning just two years ago um I I don't know it just seems like it would be great it's a cool story and I I think that it'd be good but to me it just feels like Louis Domingue's kind of giving up on his career a little bit if he signs in that role to be there unless unless they were to unload you know, a Thatcher Demko in the offseason, you know, near the draft or something, uh, and then actually want to have Louis Domingue as the backup moving into the future. And I don't know if that's the best option either because there's probably some better options uh, to have. So I don't want to piss on your Domingue party here, but uh, I find it pretty tough to, to find a situation that makes sense uh, that he's in the organization next year. Well, thank you for absolutely defecating on my idea. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty neat. But, well, it's cool. You should have just stuck with the baked cookies. I would have been. I would have been fine with that story. <laughs> They're gonna need to have a veteran <laughs> goaltender under contract. I think it's gonna be Domingue. I and here's the thing, right? Like, he's gonna be the first guy up if there's an injury. Yeah, he might be platooning with Di Pietro. He might be a backup with Di Pietro and Utica. Sure, but if there's an injury to Demko or Markstrom, he's the first guy up, right? They're not going to call up Di Pietro. They're going to let Di Pietro continue to get those reps in Utica. And, you know, we saw it with Thatcher Demko. Like, that's the best thing for him, right? We saw Richard Bachman making starts for the Canucks when Thatcher Demko was sitting in Utica, right? And it's going to be the same thing with Di Pietro. So, I don't know. Like, yeah, you're you're probably right, but I, I, I'd, be, I'd be not too quick to say there's a huge market for Louis Domingue services, right? by an NHL team. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. Um, you know, he he was a competent NHL backup only two years ago, but this season, you know, he, he didn't look great, right? And I mean, I don't know how big the market's going to be for him is all I'm saying. And I mean, he's showing the Canucks why they should bring him back. And I mean, for a team that needs to sign a veteran goaltender and literally has to, I think he's making a good case that he should be that guy. 
Yeah, it's possible. It's definitely possible, but yeah, I, I think that he, he's going to want to be able to get a, a decent amount of film on him and want to be an AHL starter, and I think he, he steps into a lot of AHL teams as the starter right now that doesn't really have you know a prospect like a Mikey DiPietro. I think he could be a starter on a lot of teams, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him. I'm just going to call my shot right now uh, on the Tomor- Toronto Marlies next season. I'm going to call that. Huh, okay. We Toronto have, just we... goes out and get those okay. guys. We've got to try and get Louis Domingue on the podcast. When he's a UFA and we don't have to go through PR teams, we have mm. to try to get Louis Domingue on the podcast. Like He'd be a lot of we, fun. You, you text Colin, you text Brogan Rafferty, and you ask these guys for Louis Domingue's number. We need to try and get Louis Domingue on the podcast. That would be fantastic. Well, that's the thing. Like Those guys have barely met him, I guess, too. Right? Like He didn't spend... How much yeah, did he, he spend didn't... time in Utica? Like not very much, right? No, but he was um he was in the training camp. He was with the second right, group second like group. the whole time. Yeah, that's true. So they were vibing with him there. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah, um, he's a player that like everybody loves. Like they're really like Deming, they they love Deming, man. Everybody loves them some Deming. Myself included. <laughs> I don't know why you just hate him so much. I guess that'll be our first question. I mean, we'll we'll throw the question to you. We'll just be like, "So, Louis, I have to ask my friend Chris here why he hates you so much, but... I know why. I don't like goalies who wear a glove on their right hand. I just don't like it, man. Wow. I don't know what it is. Wow. I don't know what it is. I just don't like it. It it, it throws me off. I've never liked it in when you're playing video games like NHL. I've never liked it when I've been playing road hockey and some funky guy comes out with a right-handed glove. <laughs> I'm not into that at all, and I don't really like seeing it... Uh, you know, maybe there's some some past scars from right-handed goalies burning the Canucks or something that uh, I don't know what it is. Like I can't tell you what it is, but it's something about those guys that look too funky for me, man. And, and as a guy who's left-handed and does everything the opposite uh, than most people, because most people are right-handed, I I don't know what it is. I should be supporting these guys, but I just don't. I, I don't like it for some reason. It, it throws me off. You're really gonna disrespect Thomas Volkun on this podcast? Are you kidding me? Yeah, Thomas Volkun, Jose Theodore. These guys used to piss me off back in the day. All right, new thing that I'm going to embark on. We're going to try and get every right-handed goalie that played from 2000 to 2020. We're going to try and get every single one of them on the podcast. That's going to be something that I try to get done. I think we need to get more goalies on the podcast because goalies are weird people in general. And then if you get one that catches with their right hand, imagine how weird that person is. You know, like Louis Domingue seems like a pretty normal guy. So I don't know. Maybe the right-handed glove balances out that because everyone says goalies are so weird. So maybe it just balances them out and makes them into a normal person. Like, I don't really know. Uh, but I, I, I'm down to try it and we can find out. Yeah, with the exception of Jacob Markstrom, like, Thatcher Demko is a really talkative guy. Like, he'd be unbelievable to have on a podcast. I mean, you know that Ian Clark story I wrote about, uh, like, the end of the season for Demko? We were just talking about... Uh, you know, well, I asked him on a Zoom call. I said, like, oh, like, how much of your success do you attribute to Ian Clark, right? And he just goes off and tells me this whole story about how, yeah, when I was stumbling, Clark, he sat down with me, blah, blah, blah. You've all read the story at this point. You know, it was one of my better stories, but Demko's a talker, man. Like, he loves I, uh, to talk. I interviewed Thatcher Demko, or sorry, uh, Mikey DiPietro. Um, I interviewed oh, him there's another three one. years ago. Uh, I interviewed DiPietro when he was playing for the Spitfires, uh, even before he got traded. And yeah, he was he was a blast to talk to. That was like one of the biggest gets I had uh, on the on a previous podcast back in the day uh, that I was on. And yeah, that, he was so much fun to talk to. And um, yeah, I might have to talk to my Utica comments and see if we can get him in the off season because he would be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, just even getting the bachelor stuff again, you guys would have a blast. 
And Domino's, he he said he his nonna was gonna throw her shoe at him if uh, if he said Domino's was any good, which I totally totally understand. Mm-hmm. No, I I totally get that. <laughs> I I agree with DP Hunter on that. Yeah, he said that on radio, uh, and I appreciate him for that. Oh my god, he's gosh. a true well, he's a true Italian, good Italian man. Mikey Di Pietro is absolutely yeah. He like follows the Pope on Twitter. Like you love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we should close out here. Uh, no, I got no. more to talk about. Hold on, been... I'm not saying close out the show. Okay. I'm saying okay, close okay. out our St. Louis Blues talk because that series is behind us, my friend. We are moving on. The Canucks are moving on, man, to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Do you have anything you want to add before we start talking about their next opponent, the Vegas Golden Knights? Um, No, not not too much. I think that, you know, it was a tale of of three different sets of two games, man. The Canucks came out in game one and two. They looked great, two and three, or three and four. Barube was able to make some adjustments and, and, you know, was all over the Canucks in that game. And then Travis Green was the MVP of the final two games. And, and I think that's so huge. I just, you know, I want to harp on it a little bit more. Uh, I've been, you know, calling for Travis Green to be able to help this team and get them better. And I really think he did that uh, in games five and six. And, and that got the Canucks over the top because, you know, there was there was a lot of nervousness in this market going into this game six, right? It felt like the Blues were going to punch back, just like they have been doing in this series. And the Canucks came out with punching the whole first period. They, you know, outshot the Blues thirteen to four at one point in that game. They dominated Corsi in the first game, get three goal in the first period, get three goals in the second period, uh, and then just kind of ride the wave off into the third period and, and you know weather the storm. And, and seeing the Blues pull the goalie with eight minutes and twenty five seconds left, that was hilarious too. Um, and then yeah, the Canucks eventually finished it off. I just thought that all in all, they played a good series. They played the way that they had to win. Uh, you know, like this, this St. Louis Blues team, like people seem to forget this. They were the number one team in the Western Conference uh, through the regular season. This was not an easy matchup for the Vancouver Canucks, even though the St. Louis Blues came out of the play-ins with, you know, a lower seeding. They were the best team in the Western Conference throughout the regular season. So this wasn't any of an easy series for the Vancouver Canucks. They should be very proud of what they just did. They just beat the defending Stanley Cup champions, the best team in the West, and now they're moving on to Vegas because, you know, Vegas has had the Canucks number, but we're about to get into that, I'm sure. And here's the thing, like, I've already seen people throwing out the, oh, well, now this is definitely going to have an asterisk next to it. I have hated that take since it was originally brought up, and I'll stand by it. Like, man, there is not an asterisk next to this. And there wouldn't even be, I wouldn't even be saying this if the Canucks weren't in the running here. Like, I, I was saying this, and you know I was saying this. Like, even if the Minnesota Wild won the cup, okay? I would not put an asterisk next to it. Not a chance. Like, these guys are still battling. And I mean, yeah, you you know, I'm getting pissy at a few media members that I'm seeing saying this. But every player you talk to, other than the ones that aren't in it, like Drew Doughty, they're saying, like, no, there's no way there's an asterisk next to this. This is going to be a difficult cup to win. If anything, it's going to be harder to win than others. You know, I, I am not on board with that take at all. And I've seen it already floated out as soon as the... Uh, as soon as the Blues got eliminated, I saw some Blues media people uh, throwing it out there. So, I mean, it was Sure, just... yeah, media. But, like, none of the... Pl- that's what I just wanted to add. Like, none of the players have said that as exactly. an excuse. You know, even watching the Montreal Canadiens get eliminated today, they were saying that, like, you know, every team wrote them off just at play-ins. 
you know, just to get into this playoffs, but they were so proud of them. They said that they played, you know, I heard Shea Weber talking about it. He was just saying that he was proud of his team. He thought they came together. It was going to be hard for everyone. And that's what the players are going out. Like the ones that are leaving the bubble right now, that are just recently eliminated. There's not any of them making excuses for the bubble saying it. And you're right. Like a lot of the players that are still staying in it. And even some that did get eliminated, talked about it. Uh, this is going to be, if not harder to win a cup, because you really like you're taken away from your families. I, I tweeted out that picture of Holly Horvat. Uh, with her son Gunner and Gus, of course, as well. And I'm just thinking, like, man, that's, you know, like, it was such a beautiful picture and such an awesome family that they have going on there. But, like, we forget that Horvat's going to be away from her for potentially two months, you know, or at least a month because I guess the families can come in uh, yes. if the conference final. So that's good. We're only, you know, a week or two away from that. But these families are still been, you know, fighting pretty hard. I think of Adam Gaudet and Michaela, who just got married, I think it was like three weeks ago, right? Or maybe four weeks ago. And, uh, and they're like, they're recently married. He left like two days or something after their marriage. Yeah, uh, yeah. and like, he's off now, like what a married life you have to start your marriage. Like, you know, if they stay married for six years, they're going to have a hell of a story, uh, to tell like right after they just got married. So it's, it's, it would be an even better story if the Canucks went on to win the Stanley cup, I guess. But, uh, that's getting a little far ahead of myself. We got Vegas here coming up. Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, seen a lot of people write them off, Chris, I'm not I'm not saying that this Canucks team is going to sweep Vegas, but I am definitely not counting them out and I'm not like I think you'd be a fool to count them out at this point. Just the way they've played in these series and the heart they've shown and the way Travis Green has coached. I just don't I don't see a scenario where Vegas just comes out and wipes the floor with the Canucks. I've seen a lot of people throwing out the sweep idea already. I can't believe it, but I have and I just, I, I don't see it. I think it's going to be a very tightly contested series. Like, Chris, like, let's let's remember, like, the Canucks just knocked off the defending cup champions, right? Like, the St. Louis Blues are no slouch. This wasn't an easy matchup. You were just saying that. Like, I, I don't care what happened in the regular season with Vegas. You know who I'd be worried about most? And maybe I'll be on board with, oh, yeah, the Canucks might get swept by these guys. And even then, I think they could put up a fight is the Colorado Avalanche, but that's not who the Canucks are matching up with. They're getting the favorable matchups here, you know? It's not the best scenario. Obviously, they would have liked to have faced Dallas or Calgary in this round. That wasn't meant to be. But next round, they're going to be, you know, I, I'm I'm not trying to jinx the Avalanche, but there is, like, no way that Dallas beats the Colorado Avalanche in a seven-game series. Like, I, I don't think there's no. a chance. Um, no. So we'll assume that it's Colorado that the Canucks would be facing up against in the next round. Like, then I'd start to worry, and I'd start to be like, okay, like, maybe this will be almost, like, you know, embarrassing because the Canucks won't be able to put up much of a fight. Like, then I could kind of get on board with it because Colorado's that good of a team. But even then, like, I'm I'm not counting these guys out. I, I won't count them out till they're out of it. I've, you know, I, you talked to me on Wednesday. We, we talked about after game four and I was just telling you like I'm like look the Canucks don't have an answer for Ryan O'Reilly until they find one I don't know how they're going to come back in this series but they did find an answer and they did come back in the series they proved a lot to me they proved a lot to a lot of people I think and again you got to tip your hat to Travis Green because I was personally I was counting them out after game four I was saying like they don't have an answer for Ryan O'Reilly this is not going to be easy but you know they found it so let's get ready for Vegas Yep, you called the series too. You called it in six, so you called, uh, you nailed that one. But yeah, Vegas is Vegas is a good team. They they're gonna come like 
in a different way that the forecheck happens for the St. Louis Blues. The St. Louis Blues have a heavy forecheck. The Vegas Golden Knights have a quick forecheck, right? I mean, they're going to move the puck well with their defense core. They have some guys that can score. They have some skilled players. They're getting great goaltending from Robin Leonard right now in net. They have Marc-Andre Fleury if they want to go away from, from Leonard and move towards him. And, yeah, it's it's a situation right now that I look at this team and I, I see top to bottom. I think a guy's like, you know, Mark Stone pops off the page, obviously, as a two-way player, one of the best in the NHL. Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau, Riley Smith, William Carlson, like this. They have a good top six, man. They're going to they're gonna give the Canucks top six a run for their money. But even looking at high-end skill at the end of the day, you know, I, I wonder if they go back to the lotto line and, and see what happens with a matchup in game one. Like, is Travis Green going to keep rolling with this weird blender hockey that he seems to be going in right now with the team? And, like, is that his move now as the playoffs continue on? Because, yeah, this Canucks team is coming into this game is definitely the betting non-favorite, I guess. They're not the betting favorite for sure is what I'm trying to say. And maybe Travis Green just knows that it worked against the St. Louis Blues and he wants to go in that direction to finish off these playoffs, ride that wave of, of letting the team go out there, skate, and and get involved with the bottom six because maybe maybe the top sixes on the Canucks match up well against the Vegas Golden Knights because there's some good two-way players on that team and you know their bottom six has some big, strong guys. I mean, Ryan Reeves is going to be hell to deal with for the Vancouver Canucks. The Canucks just don't have a guy that can match up against him unless Zach McEwen's potentially in the lineup. And even that, it's not really, you know, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not like counting Zach McEwen out, but uh, Ryan O'Reilly's a monster, dude. Like the guy is huge on the four check. He can drop the gloves against anybody in the league. Um, he would worry me a little bit about what he's going to be able to do physically to this team. And from top to bottom, like they have some good, really good players. Uh, this Vegas Golden Knights team, man, it's, the way that they came in with an expansion, the way that they were able to build a team with a strong four lines, you know, a defense core that maybe doesn't have a number one guy on their defense, but, you know, led by guys like Shea Theodore and uh, who else? Like Nate Smith's pretty damn good. Um, like, they, they have guys that move the puck really well. They did an incredible job scouting, and they are built, you know, they've built themselves a really good team for a reason because they work so well together that it makes it into a real hockey team. And that's the only thing that the Canucks... Um, at times don't have, right? It doesn't feel like the Canucks at times have a full four-line team. It seems like sometimes it's just the top six that's going. So if they get a performance like they did uh, here in game six, uh, I do not worry about it at all. I think that this will be something the Canucks can continue on. I think they'll have a good series against the Vegas Golden Knights. But if they're not able to get that depth scoring that they got um, on Friday night, it's going to be a long series for the Vancouver Canucks or maybe a short series if Vegas is able to take advantage. Absolutely, and I, you know, my prediction for the series is that we're going to continue to see Elias Pettersson in a matchup role, right? Like, I think that's what we're going to see, and, you know, even even with a team like St. Louis, who, contrary to Minnesota, had kind of that top line that you really need to focus in on with the O'Reilly line, like, to me, that's one of the best lines in hockey, um, and the Canucks decided to use Pedersen in a matchup role at the start, which was all fine and dandy for the first two games. It worked. They got Horvat firing on all cylinders. I predict we're going to see that against Vegas. And I mean, maybe they'll have to adapt, but I think out of the gate, we're going to see Travis Green go back to that, right? Like, I think we're going to see the Pedersen line match up against Vegas's top line. And you just hope that the rest of the forwards can step up. You hope Pedersen can win that battle in general. And you really hope that the Canucks can just kind of go back to their roots, go back to what they know best, and that's keeping the lotto line together, having production from the rest of your lineup. And I mean, 
it'd be wonderful if they can have that. And I think if they do, I think we're going to see the Canucks pull out this series. And I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I, 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 I'm not counting them out of this series, man. Like, I think they have a good shot against Vegas. I really do. Yeah. And that's the matchup that we're, I would expect to see the same thing. I think that game one, we do see maybe some regular lines go back to it. You know, like Travis Green probably won't hit the blender unless they have a, have to panic after the first period. But uh, man, I'm just, I'm thinking of it now. That first line of Vegas, uh, Pacioretty, Carlson, and Stone going up against the lotto line. Like that's going to be some high flying hockey with a lot of high events going on when they're on the ice. Uh, and then the second line, um, Stastny, Riley, Smith, and Marcheseau, um, for Vegas, that line matching up against the Horvat line. I'd like to see Horvat go to work against that group, man. Like, I don't think, uh, that line was very efficient, uh, in this series that the, the, the Vegas Knight, Golden Knights just played against, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. I thought that at times the Blackhawks looked pretty damn good, uh, to be honest against that Stassi line. I think Horvat could exploit that line a little bit if he's getting a lot of time with them. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to see, I think that a couple guys that, you know, I mentioned Chandler Stevenson earlier on in this episode. He's now a, a Vegas Golden Knight. And that bottom six, the guys that worry me a little bit are, you know, even thinking of that fourth line, right? It's Stevenson. It's Ryan Reeves on that fourth line. And then they have Alex Tuck, who's just, I think Alex Tuck's nasty. I think he's one of the most uh, underrated players that plays in a middle six in the NHL. Like, he's not a star for sure. Uh, and he's not like an underrated superstar in this league or a star. But you watch Alex Tuck. He does everything right. He's an analytics darling. He's the kind of guy that you want on your team. Um, I think he's going to be a lot of trouble for the Vancouver Canucks bottom six going up against, you know, Brandon Sutter's line and Jay Beagle's line or Adam Gaudet's line. Like, Alex Tuck is is a really good hockey player. I think we're going to be saying his name a lot throughout this series and possibly cursing his name a little bit at times. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We'll have to wait and see. Alex Tuck, you know, that's a good name that you brought up. That's somebody who, whenever I watch Vegas, and I have watched a few of their games during the playoffs, you know, he's a guy that you seem to always notice, right? And, I mean, he's all mm-hmm. over the ice. Man, you're you're probably right. I think he's going to be the Ryan O'Reilly of this series in the sense that we're going to continuously be talking about him. And, man, who would have thought, hey, who would have thought we'd be talking about a second round of the NHL playoffs in August? It's still so bizarre to me, but I'm very excited to get going. I'm, yeah. I've am yeah. i still got some time on my vacation, so, I mean, unless you have anything to add, I'm going to be... I do, I do. Stop. Okay. No, I do. The, the final thing I want to talk about, because I'm... I'm not really going on vacation, but I'm going to MC a wedding next weekend too. So you better hurry back here, quads, because uh, you got to take over control. I've I've done like 26 articles or something in 21 days here. I'm going a little bit crazy. My fingers are hurting, but I bought a nice new chair for my I office. I saw that, uh, which is so comfortable. It's got three different adjustments on it. I got it all figured out today. Uh, it is so much better because you saw the office situation that I had before, uh, which is like a 20-year-old couch that is not comfortable at all. And uh, sitting in this chair has been so much better. I'm just getting used to the headrest now. But I want to mention what I did in this chair earlier today. Um, watch some Niels Hoglander tape. He was outstanding in today's game. He probably was the best player for Rogla today. Um, I thought up and down the ice at five on five, he was so involved physically. His four check is still looking strong. Um, you know, he gets in, he obviously has the high motor, but he has the skill to be able to retrieve pucks out of those board battles. And it's just so, so nice to watch him progress this year. Uh, he doesn't have a game for a few days here. He just played two games, had a goal in both those games, had a primary assisting today's game as well. Two points for Hoglander. Uh, so just want to give a quick update on him. And we also spoke to the agent, uh, midweek and he mentioned that 
Um, they are going to be reassessing the situation with Huglander and coming over to North America, and they're going to try and make the timeline line up for the NHL season starting. So on December 19th is when the loan expires. Uh, or sorry, the 18th is when it expires. So he can make a choice on the 19th and sign again uh, to re-up the contract and loan with Rogla if he wants to continue his development in Sweden. Or we could get a Christmas present uh, in 2020 and Nils Huglander might be under the tree for Canucks fans. Whether that's in Utica uh, or in the NHL, it's something interesting. And he does have that out clause as well. So 10 games, we might see him uh, in December in one of the leagues here in North America. And then if he likes it, he could stay. And if he fits in on this Canucks team, which seeing the progression that he's made and watching the games that he played today, he was he was the best player on the ice. He stuck out on both teams. He was the best player in that game, uh, in the full game. I thought he was up and down. He had maybe you know one or two shifts that weren't great everything else was excellent so uh just a quick little update on Nils Huglander stay excited for him and he might be our Christmas present this year so I'm excited to uh to see how that season progresses and they get started uh on September 19th with the regular season just so you guys know that's all I got quads I'm done absolutely fantastic update I'm gonna close it out now because vacation mode is going right back on I'm getting into the crown and sprite just like you told me to crown apple for Chris Faber my name is David Quadrelli. You have been listening to the Canucks Conversation. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.